1: And today we are dishing about weight stigma among dietitians. But first, uh, we're celebrating our podcast's third birthday with some audio issues.
0: <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> of course, all makes sense.
1: It seems appropriate. So bear with us. Uh, it sounds like Gina. Maybe you need a new microphone. We're not. We're not really sure. We'll have to talk to Brian, our our podcast uh, brainiac, because we are of no help, right? <laughs>
0: Uh huh. Yeah, clearly. If we happy have issues, later. we're just
1: like, uh, we don't know.
0: <laughs> anyway, happy third
1: birthday to us. That's very exciting. Thanks for all of your support uh, of the show. And so, before jumping in today, Gina, what's going on with you other than oh extreme frustration over microphones?
0: Oh my gosh! Other than that, actually, not a whole lot. You know, it's uh, early December, and it doesn't really feel like Christmas yet, but got our tree up and all that. We are decorating cookies tomorrow. I have, we talked about play dates on our last episode and I invited three of Paige's friends over and we're going to be uh, decorating cookies. I I think I made about a hundred cookies and I'm not, I did not make them from scratch. If you're wondering, I got them frozen and I just popped them in the oven and cooked them. And so they'll have a hundred cookies to decorate. There's four girls. How long will that take them? 10 minutes? 12. I'm hoping it'll be about an 12. hour's worth of fun. 12 if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, no, you got to put more detail on this one, I think. Uh, so I bought lots of different things that they can use to decorate the cookies, and then that'll be fun. And then, honestly, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about Christmas gifts and all that and Christmas planning, and I'm hoping to, you know, the last week before Christmas, just really be able to relax. Isn't that a dream? Uh, That way, you know, that's why I like to do things early. So I can just, like, right when we get to the end, instead of, you know, fretting about it and being frustrated, I can actually just relax a little bit. So that is the goal. What about you, Nicole? What's what's new?
1: Oh, uh, my brother's getting married on Monday. Uh, They're getting, they're doing like a a little courthouse thing. And then I think they're planning like an actual reception in the fall of 2023. I'm not, you know brothers i i just will never understand them so i'm just going with it i'm like okay what time do i need to be in chicago and that's all i need to know i will be there so i get to go to a courthouse wedding which is kind of fun um i guess it's it's yeah. a first i i'm excited um and it's my brother so that's that's all good i'm very excited for that uh the girls this past week we did a uh ballet okay well let me rewind i think i talked about it on the podcast at some point But my little Piper, my youngest, my five-year-old, she is so content just kind of being in the background of everything that her older sister, Shay, at seven does. And it's I'm trying to find that something that Piper really, really enjoys. And it seems to be that that's dance. And we tried hip-hop at this gymnastic studio. It just didn't go well. It was... Ugh! It was just a bad experience. The teacher was not open to feedback. The kids didn't like going. There was no dancing. It was just weird. Like I, I just wasn't happy with it, and neither were the kids. So we dropped that after like a month or two. And this dance studio is a lot closer to our house. It's like two minutes, and uh, it, it seems to be like a legit dance studio. So I, I don't know. I grew up with you know hanging out with dancers and. And we'll see. So, I mean, they have a leotard, like a specific color that they have to wear for beginners, and then you know everybody has a different color that kind of indicates your your level. Um, but it's a drop off, so you drop off the kids, and then every sixth week is what they call a visiting week where the parents come to watch. So what we did last week was we went to go um, watch as like visitors, I guess. And um, Shay was all about it, and of course Piper was like, I don't know just watch i'm like no babe like let's give this a try like i just want her to try things Mm -hmm. um so we'll see i think she will really like it uh but no like skirts or anything allowed so they have this it's a royal blue leotard with pink tights isn't that weird i mean like it's fine but i don't know
0: it's different Yeah. yeah
1: yeah it's different exactly uh so that's going on so they'll actually start this week And then, yeah, just kind of holiday craziness. I did take a day off of work to go shopping and um, spent some time this weekend wrapping and and doing all that. So I am also feeling in a pretty good spot. It's just, you know, those people that are difficult to buy for, it's just stressful. So I've got the bulk of it done with my my stragglers. And then I posted this on Instagram last night, but um, I'm preparing my holiday cookie kind of list of what I'm going to do. And I asked the question of like, which would you grab first? And I put nine pictures of things that I've made in the past. And of course, number one was Buckeyes. Um, they're just such a pain in the butt to make, Gina. I, lo- I do like Buckeyes, but I wish others- no could. bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> N- and number two, is this interesting to you, frosted sugar cookies?
0: No, I, I, I do enjoy a frosted sugar cookie. I think mm-hmm. what's more interesting is number three, because that is not enticing to me really in the least.
1: Yeah, number three was peppermint Oreo truffles, like really, really close to sugar cookies, actually. And then peanut butter blossoms. I forgot to post on their English toffee. Do you like toffee?
0: Ugh. No. Ugh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. I could, I would, I can get sick on that stuff. I love it so much. Anyway, okay. So, and then I, nobody chose fudge. That was so interesting to me. And then every year I didn't even put it on the list because they're, I don't have a good picture of them, but I make uh, crock pot peanut clusters. Oh, yeah. It's a recipe that my mother in law gave me. So easy and so good. And okay. i that link in the show notes.
0: I, I feel like we did something wrong here. We should have included the link to, and we can. Our episode from last year, where we each sent each other two new cookie recipes, and I believe, I'm pretty sure that those peanut clusters were on were the one was the one you sent to me, and I made them, and they were delicious. Totally a recipe I would send you because it's so easy. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll link that in the show notes. So if you guys want, yeah, we'll link that
0: that episode. Cool, because it has tons of recipes.
1: That's me. I love the I love the holiday stuff. Cool. Cool. All
0: right. All right. So before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us, and they really help us reach more people. And of course, we'd appreciate it. Today's episode is sponsored by Terry Manrique of Working With Parents. Do you struggle getting your kids to listen? Are you losing control of your kids and trying to get it back? Terry from our episode 113 is offering our listeners a 10% discount on any of her packages. And Take it from me. If you're wondering for if her services will help, I promise they will. If you don't live in Columbus, Terry does long-distance virtual consultations as well. Learn more about her services by listening to episode 113, where I talk all about our in-home nanny 911 experience.
1: Love it. All right. So kind of jumping into today's topic and show, I was doing some preparation Just reading online a lot about dietetics and weight stigma, and um, even dietitians who identify with weight struggles, I was impressed by our uh, professional or uh, professional publication, Today's Dietitian. It's well known among uh, dietitians as being a pretty respected publication, and they have articles. I was able to find as far back as. To 2010, uh, but I bet there might be some earlier on the top on this very topic. And one article in particular struck me uh, in many ways, and I wanted to open up uh, that just the topic today with a few direct polls from that piece. And so to start off, the author Julianne Schaefer said, uh, quote, "In a culture that places so much emphasis on physical appearance and weight in particular, it's no surprise that many people have a love-hate relationship with the size of their bodies. But what happens when a dietitian's weight str- issues aren't a thing of the past? Can dieticians who have been trained in diet and nutrition be effective nutrition counselors if they still battle with weight themselves? And how much or how little weight denotes a struggle anyway? Any remarks on that, Gina, just to kick us off?
0: Um. I mean, I, first of all, I love I love today's dietitian, and I think they do a fantastic job of incorporating all different areas of dietetics, all different sides of the story. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know that I have any comments on it other than just I I, I love that they're talking about it and, and bringing the conversation to the forefront. I think it's it's great.
1: Yeah, I wonder if she was being quoted in 2021 if the word diet would maybe be removed or you know eating patterns or if she, if she would if something else would be said not that it's wrong um yeah. i think sometimes we just take the word diet and instead of replacing it with what we eat we associate it with restriction if you will mm-hmm. or some type of rules or guidelines um but anyway i i thought that that was a noteworthy kind of quote to kind of start us off and similarly a woman by the name of sharon solomon who's a dietitian uh who previously wrote an article, Confessions of a Fat Dietitian for Today's Dietitian, said, quote, well, we can't make assumptions about people's lifestyles and behaviors based on what they look like. Mm-hmm. And she notes that that is stereotyping behavior that can lead to discrimination. And I know that Kimmy Singh did a really good job of discussing uh, weight stigma and, yeah, discri- as, as discrimination. Mm-hmm. And in that same article, a dietitian by the name of Jessica Wilson, who is, she's quite um Active online with her Hayes philosophy, she's quoted in saying in the same article, "I think that a prof- I think that a profession that's only open and welcoming to people with a BMI of eighteen point five to twenty four point nine is discriminatory, short sighted, and a disgrace." And mm-hmm. I love that quote. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems really great. And so while weight shouldn't matter when assessing job skills or performance, there seems to be no escaping this in the dietetics profession. And I would add to this in kind of just researching for the show, it seems that this is certainly uh, something on the minds of dietitians and dietetics, but also of health professionals in general. So a lot of similarities were made to, you know, perhaps cardiologists who smoke or, you know even just physicians and mid-level practitioners who are responsible for bringing up topics of health and healthy eating and exercise when perhaps they don't have um, those healthy habits themselves. So just a mm-hmm. lot or just a lot here to unpack. So I'd like to kind of start us off with the elephant in the room uh, and we know it, but maybe our listeners don't and that is, a very well-known, um, well-researched uh, point that dietetics students and dietitians are nearly 80% white middle-class thin women, specifically white, 80%, nearly 80% white um, dietitians. That's, that's the makeup of our profession.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: not entirely clear why this is. However, a lot of research points to the highly competitive internship matching process the cost for college and internships, and possibly the move to a master's requirement for nutrition in 2024, all kind of playing a role. Additional considerations may be a uh, poor inclusivity of the MyPlate and the USDA food database, uh, and you know, there's fingers pointed that direction.s What do you think, Gina? Anything to add to that?
0: So what do you, okay, explain what that means, additional considerations such as the poor inclusivity of the MyPlate in the USDA food database. What, is, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the, you know, we, a lot of the things that were talked about were like salmon and quinoa. It, it wasn't inclusive of things like- Different cultures. Yeah, like what does a diet look like of those who come from Mexico or India, um, you know, stigmatizing that Mexican diets are high in fat, lard, um, that- Indian foods are heavy. That's what I read. Um, so a lot of that type of stuff where foods are more like individual, they're not culturally sensitive.
0: Yeah. Okay. I want to just I kind of go back. About
1: that. I never really did think about that.
0: No, me either. Absolutely not. And I don't think I learned enough about the different, you know, cultural cuisines. I didn't even have a class on it, which they do, do, they do that now. And it's, I think it's such an important part of the dietetics curriculum that was, I think, missed when I was in school. Um, Okay, so I want to go back to what you were saying about how it's almost similar to when we have, you know, cardiologists who smoke. I I don't think you were saying, okay, I think it's so, so different, although we don't view it as different, hiring or um, allowing for a dietitian to graduate with a dietetics degree who's in a larger body, right, compared to hiring a, a cardiologist who smokes. Such a difference for so many reasons, but first and foremost, and probably most importantly, is that as we've already talked about, those in larger bodies don't always have unhealthy diets. In fact, generally, it's the opposite; like they're doing really well with their wellness goals, they're working out, they're eating balanced. But we make the you know biased assumption that because they're in a larger body, they must be unhealthy. Whereas a cardiologist who smokes, like that's clearly something that's going against. I would think. What they learned in school and what they know to be good for their heart. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: big, big. I think difference there. But yeah, I think a lot of us assume we assume that those in larger bodies, especially dietitians, like why would they? Why would they be teaching us how to be healthy when clearly they're not healthy? Which obviously is not true.
1: Yeah, I think my point might have been more in like credibility. Like, oh, would yeah, cardiologists no. lose credibility by, um, you, you know, discouraging smoking when? Yes. I don't know. And Another do parallel, so. like, was would you go to a hairdresser who you thought had atrocious hair? Yeah, I, yeah. No I know. parallels. It was interesting to research all of this,
0: and, and I know what you're saying, and I think that's the thing that most of us were thinking to ourselves. You know, especially if there's someone in a larger body who, who works in you know weight loss, you're thinking mm-hmm. to yourself, well, how do they know about weight loss? Like, look at them. You know, that's the automatic assumption. So they're not going to get any clients, right? Well, of course they will, but you know. People are going to question it, but they, in the reality, and hopefully we're moving towards this direction where they shouldn't question it because the size of their body means absolutely nothing. They, they may I don't even want to talk about weight loss, but it means nothing as far as what they know about how you can lose weight and really about their lifestyle at all. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but it will take years for us to get to that point um, where we, where we don't look at someone and make judgments based on just purely the way they look. It, I mean, I'm still working on it. If I'm being completely honest, so yeah. Uh, so okay, getting back to the to the question, yes, I do. I have anything to add to that? So how yeah. diverse
1: was yours? Was your it, internship?
0: It wasn't. It was all exactly what you said. It was white. I'm I'm assuming mostly middle class, and yeah, all very very thin, small, quote unquote normal bodied or um, acceptable bodied women. There was one. There was one male in our class. You know, we had that conversation with Catherine a couple weeks ago, and she was in my in my dietetics class, an undergraduate. And yeah, we were a bunch of women that were white. I don't think we had one um, non Caucasian person in in our graduating class. Hmm. <laughs> oh no, that's not true. We did. We did. I just remembered actually. And she's and I still follow her on Facebook. I wasn't really good friends with her, but we did. We actually did have one. Uh, a black woman who is hilarious. She was so funny. I don't know how I forgot about her, who was in our class. She might've been a year older than me, but I, they kind of all blended together anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she might've been a year older than me, but she was just, she was the only one that I can remember. I will tell you, I went to a very mainly white middle-class uh, college. It was not diverse in the least. So it's not, it is not at all surprising that of course, in the dietetics um, undergraduate program, it was also not diverse. So yeah. Well, and that you? Be
1: part of the issue too. Is that where I mean, dietetics is not a major at every single institution, right? So it could right. be that more diverse institutions should consider at least starting a nutrition, pro, you know, program.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: No, I I don't come from a diverse program at all. Um, I did. I went to the University of Illinois for undergrad, which is a very very large um state school, but. The, yeah I would say still there was not any diversity uh in in nutrition, actually, that's kind of why I met mark um <laughs> Which I probably told the story at some point, but I went to college with my high school boyfriend, and when he cheated on me the first semester of, of school, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I play ice hockey. I live in the only all girls dorm. I join nutrition, you know, as a major, which is all women. I'm never going to meet a man, and so I joined Match.com, and that's how I met. <laughs> um, but yeah, part of that was definitely uh, yeah the the lack of. <laughs> Diversity in all ways uh, in the nutrition. Yeah. So, yeah. what we did for today's episode was, was we asked um, on Instagram for several willing um, self identified fat dietitians. So, we just kind of threw out the question. We had some great responses uh, and we sent out some questions that we asked them, uh, these dietitians, to respond to anonymously. And so, we're going to kind of walk through these here today. And the first question was How do you prefer to have body, uh, like your body size or shape? referenced or what descriptors do you um, as an overweight dietitian best identify with? Fat, overweight, obese, larger bodied, or living in a larger body, thick, plus-sized, curvy, chubby. Uh, and there was absolutely no consensus <laughs> after asking mm-hmm. this question of of dietitians who uh, are in a body that society deems as too big. Uh, responses received included curvy. And somebody said, and I agree, Curvy could be applied to any size. It doesn't necessarily mean a larger side, size. Um, some responses were preferred for chubby or simply larger. Um, and then I think larger body or living in a larger body would be my preference. But um, I guess a question, you know, some people will automatically say, well, I don't talk about people's size. Mm-hmm. And I think as a parent, maybe this would come up. Is there a way that you have? Broach this at all with the kids, or has it come up? And what identifiers or descriptors do you use or preference? Mm. Would you say?
0: I would say living. I hate living in a larger body, but has a larger body. Mm -hmm. I hate the word overweight and obese. I never ever use those because over what weight? I mean, that's that's over what weight? What is what is the weight that we're over in order to be considered overweight? It's so I cannot stand that term. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will generally use the word, the words. uh, he or she has a larger body. Uh yeah. It hasn't come up a whole lot, I will tell you, in conversation with my kids, although I do want it to. I don't want it to not be a point of conversation. Long story short, living in a larger body or she she or he has a larger body is generally what I say. Okay.
1: Yeah. I found it interesting that there was no uh consensus at all there. That was very, very, very interesting to me. But
0: uh, yeah.
1: I and is that an appropriate question to ask i I have no idea I guess so yeah All right. yeah, um, okay, our second question was, did your weight status or weight history impact or drive your decision to become a dietitian or work in your field and I will say I don't think this is a question um or that is specific or th- uh, my uh assumed answer I guess uh is not specific to those in larger bodies pursuing dietetics. But some responses included, yes, uh, as somebody who struggled with weight all my life, I wanted to take the opportunity to learn as much as I could. Originally, ha- um, this dietitian had hopes of getting quote getting skinny, uh, but says that she outgrew that mentality. Uh, another response said that, yes, uh, they had lost a significant amount of weight and battled disordered eating and orthorexia and wanted to help others strike the balance of healthful habits. Um, with real life, so that was another one. And Gina, I know you've mentioned this on the show, but what drove you towards dietetics?
0: Well, specifically, I, I've always I grew up just with a, a love for most foods, and I just thought it was so important to get people to understand the importance of not only eating foods that you love, but finding foods that are make you feel good and that are balanced and nutritious, right? But at the same time. I, I think I was delusional because I had a very severe eating disorder. I was probably twenty pounds underweight at the time, and which is looking back, I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, they need to have some." Uh, it had to be, it had to have been pretty obvious when I had my internship, you know, interview, and I I, I went to the school. I, although I just applied online, they didn't ever meet me when before I got accepted to you know where I went, Miami. But looking back, I'm just like, wow, wouldn't the dietetics professors have, they, no one ever said anything to me and it had to be so obvious. So, anyway, what got me interested was the fact that there was no language required. I did, I was a huge fan of just helping people learn how to be healthy because I thought I was. I thought, oh my gosh, look at me. I look great. I'm doing a great job. You know, I know how to lose weight and, and be healthy at the same time. And I'm going to show others how to do the same thing. I was just so adamant and focused on helping people really with weight loss because I was so good at it. And yeah, but lo and behold, I, I, I learned pretty fast that actually what I was doing was, was not healthy, but it did take me years to actually turn that around in my own life. Yeah.
1: Mm Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a common theme that there there's usually something preceding the pursuit of dietetics that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. And, and to me, that makes sense. I, I think that's probably the case with most uh, fields. Uh, all right. The next question we posed was working in dietetics, do you feel as though patients, clients, or coworkers imply, assume, or comment that perhaps you don't, quote, walk the walk or, quote, practice what you preach? And I, I it just kind of Combining all of answers here, the consensus was truly yes that there are some insecurities um, around this for even dietitians who identify with haze aligned or Health at Every Size aligned approaches, and who consider having themselves um, having good body positivity. The undertones of thinness and health uh, being mutually exclusive is powerful and deeply, deeply rooted in society and medicine. Uh, So, I would say it's just incredibly difficult to fully shake that insecurity. but respond respondents felt that they've made really good progress at a personal level, and that it was that, that there was respect for sure um, from patients, clients, and coworkers in that way. And I, I'll add just that for me personally, being told by somebody within privilege that I'm healthy or shouldn't feel insecure or un- unhappy about my body or weight is is just frustrating. Um, I would say that. I love all that's happening in the dietetics field with intuitive eating and body positivity and health at every size, but I don't want somebody, particularly a dietitian within privilege, telling me I should be something, happy with my body or not insecure. Um, yeah, to me, that's just, I'm not there yet. and I, It just feels hollow um, and mm-hmm. I feel misunderstood, I guess. Um, and that's just me inserting my opinions. That wasn't really what was asked in the question. Um, but yeah, I, I think sometimes
0: that it feels like like a pat on the head. I don't know. Like, oh, you're
1: cute. Like, you're fine. Everything's fine. Like, you know, and it's not. Like, I don't think it's fair to tell somebody how they should feel. That's all.
0: Mm-hmm. Have I done that?
1: Yeah. I mean, but it's not ill intent. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's always with good meaning and it's not just you. I mean, and it's not, it's not just dietitians. Um, I think it's more, it can be more irky coming from dietitians because they are in a similar, they're in a similar field, right? At least to me. And I feel as though like we, like we discussed at the top of the show is, is just that there is probably a heightened stigma around what a dietitian's body should or should not be. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying like the stigma is there and I'm not and, in the minds of people, right? Like I wonder sometimes, or maybe I don't, cause I probably don't want to know, like what do is if people learn that I'm a dietitian, what is their initial assumption? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say that more people than not have an opinion about that mm-hmm. and it's not for the best. Mm-hmm. Based on the way I look, that's all. I, I don't know that, but mm-hmm. I would. I, it's probably a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I'm not at all here when I say this comment, trying to turn it around to me within privilege. But I'm just going to say this. I, I I've been debating whether to say it out loud, but here I go. I I while I do not understand what you just said fully because I've always had thin privilege, so I've never actually felt. What you feel, so I, I do believe it, hundred percent. I, I will say, the same thing can happen to someone like me within privilege. Let me give you an example. I'm sure I don't think it hurts as much though, and I don't know though. I mean, it's it's all subjective. If I say anything about an insecurity I have with my body, automatically people look at me like I'm freaking crazy, like why would you say that? Look at you. You you look great. Which, I mean, it's this is what always happens. And here's the thing. Like, we'll be in comp- – so, okay, inevitably when I go out with friends or a lot of the times it'll be the wives of of Nick's friends, who are also my friends, but we'll – something about diet will come up or, or something about their body and feeling negative. And sometimes I want to chime in and, like, be part of the conversation, but I never do – because they will shoot me looks like dagger looks. Like, who are you to say anything? Mm-hmm. And so I just I just keep my mouth shut. Not that I wouldn't anyway. And I'm talking about really in the past before I really jumped onto the haze bandwagon and I, and I had body positivity myself. I would always feel insecure being part of any of those conversations. Which now, again, I, I wouldn't want to be part of them anyway. But people assume because you have thin privilege that you never have any type of body issues. And it is so not true at all. Um, but I think that the 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 way that I feel when that happens is so, so, so different than what you just described. And I just want to make that clear. Um, it doesn't affect me really in a, in a really negative way other than just like at the time. I don't think about it any other time. So it's really just in the moment where I'm like, okay, you know, listen, I can have insecurities too. Just because I have thin privilege doesn't mean that I can't have insecurities. And you, who are you to tell me that I can't be insecure just because I have thin privilege? That's not you, you have no right to say that, um, but again, I don't think about it a whole lot. It doesn't affect me day to day, but I will say it does. It has it has affected me in the past, um, but I, I know again in a very different way. So
1: no, no, nobody wants their feelings dismissed. You feel yeah. a certain way; it may not be rational or quote right or justified or you know what. I, it, mm-hmm. But how you feel is how you feel. It doesn't exactly. like you. Can, nobody can take that from you, right? And Yes. No, I appreciate that perspective a hundred percent. It's like you said, everybody has insecurities. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think of things like sometimes oh, this is probably a bad example, but it mm-hmm. it like comparing your children to like problems with your kids, if you will. Like you can't say, oh, your kids' behavior is fine. You're not getting a call from the principal every day. And it's like, well, no, but like. I'm, I am am concerned with my my child's behavior. You know what I mean? Like, comparison yes. is is just never good, right? Like, it, and you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes
0: fully. Like, right, exactly.
1: That was yeah. a really, really bad comparison. It's the only thing.
0: No, no, I no. I, it does, that, I think it, no matter what, it, it's like the COVID thing, okay? For some people, it was really horrible. Like really, really bad. But even for you and I, when we had the conversation about COVID, we had some not so great moments and not, so, I mean, I'm still, there's still things I'm struggling with. It doesn't mean just because we weren't, you know, we didn't know someone who died from COVID or we didn't lose our jobs that we're not still struggling. You know, there, everyone has their own struggle and it's not up to anyone else other than you to determine whether you're, whether you're struggling or not, or what severity of struggle it is. No one else. It's, it's not anyone else's business, right? Um, everyone has, it's, it's very subjective. And and just because your struggle wasn't as bad as another person's struggle doesn't mean that your struggle is affecting you. And that's Mm -hmm. not fair to assume that because yours wasn't, you know, extensively terrible that you're not struggling. And again, you know, you could say that's a bad example too, but it's the same idea. No, I
1: think that's actually a really, really good example. Um, Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Um, Okay. It's kind of along the same, same lines here. Has a patient or client or coworker ever commented on your body size for the positive or the negative? And did it make you feel more or less credible depending on the circumstance? And not as many responses here, but while one person did say that she recalled one positive comment from a patient and it didn't change how she felt about um, you know her credibility with that patient. Um, I personally have had several patients comment on my weight Some have been um, a note of a perceived change in my body that was meant to be complimentary, which I don't think my body has changed much at all. But maybe like some people that I knew like right after having a baby or when pregnant, which probably isn't a fair comparison. Uh, But then on several occasions, I have had people comment, um, specifically patients, about feeling more comfortable talking to me or finding me more approachable because I am in a larger body. Uh, I will say I don't work specifically with weight management, uh, so I probably don't struggle as much there. But I will say I feel like being fluffy, which is kind of one of the terms I like, <laughs> an endearing term for my body. I think of that as almost like my RD superpower.
0: Oh, all right. I love that. That's so positive. Now, now, talk about that a little bit.
1: I To me, it means a lot. It, you know, and it's funny because it's <laughs> – You know, again, researching for today's show, it's like, would you go to a marriage counselor that's three times divorced? You know, like that type of (laughs) like, would you go to somebody for help with a specific problem who's still in the throes of it, right? Or who has a track record that's little, that isn't what you want, right? Or it's Uh not what you're pursuing. I guess for me, it's, I've never had a patient say anything negative about my weight ever. It's only been positive. And I guess I will say that that's just refreshing. And it makes me feel valued in a way that if that's meaningful to somebody, that's awesome. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it gives me a really good platform to talk about haze, right? To talk about, yeah, I struggle. Like, I don't love the way I look every day, but by golly, I adore cooking and I love, there's nothing better than putting, you know, a home cooked meal on the, uh, you know, on the table for my family that they love. And that's nutritious that I know is going to help them, you know, sleep better and run faster and, and do all the fun things that they want to do. Or, um, yeah, I, I talk about my passion for exercise. That's, that's empowering a hundred percent. Because if somebody looks at my body and says, oh, she can run, four miles, five miles, six miles. Cool, maybe I can too.
0: Yeah, I understand that, yeah.
1: I don't know, anything to add there? Has Has anybody said anything about your body?
0: No, but I, I definitely did, again, going back to sort of the opposite spectrum, the opposite um, view from me, who again, have I've always had thin privilege. Whenever I used to do weight loss classes, I always remember thinking in the back of my mind, that I had no right to be there because I've never actually lost weight. And, and, I, and I always assumed that people kind of thought about that. So I would always bring in my history with an eating disorder because in many, many ways, I had to relearn how to eat just like what I used to teach people they were doing when they had to lose weight. Like, All right, this is a whole new way of eating. You're going to have to change your whole mindset. You have to change your relationship with food in order to lose weight, which is exactly what I had to do in order to gain weight. It at least gave me, um, helped, it at least allowed them to empathize a little bit with me so that they knew that I could empathize with them. And that was a struggle for me sometimes too, because it's like, well, it isn't, it's a little bit different, but, you know, also a lot of the same. And so, yes, I have struggled with that. And as we've talked about, I also sometimes struggle in my educating others in order and how to be an intuitive eater because, you know, and we've had the conversation on this podcast before. Here I am within privilege. And I know we've, you and I have even talked about this where, yeah, I guess it's quote unquote easy for me to say, you know, eat what you want, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, listen to your body, allow desserts to fit. Where you know I've never had a struggle with my weight, or not to say that I've never had you know poor body image, because that is not that is not the case. I've definitely suffered from poor body image. So, but I know people are looking at me thinking, "Well, it's easy for you to be an intuitive eater because look at you." And I do think about that a lot. No, and and people actually have said that to me. So you're saying that people people have never mentioned or commented on your body. I think people are more. Eager and they don't have any qualms about bringing up someone in a what you know their thoughts on someone having a you know living having thin privilege or having a smaller body Mm -hmm. because I've had people tell me numerous times, Gina, it's easy for you to tell me to be an intuitive eater, but look at you essentially, and it it might not be quite as hurtful. I mean, I'm again I've never been in your shoes, but it does sting a little bit. But it also but I also understand it, and I'm also, you know, here I am talking about health at every size and all that. But again, I have I have been privileged, so ah, I'm so we're actually having a conversation, and I can't remember who is going to be on our podcast and what her name is. But I am so excited about it. I am not to pull it up. Uh, we've got this in, in February about body acceptance, and we're going to ask her those questions, like what is it like? How how should I approach the idea of intuitive eating and health at every size? having thin privilege and when, how do I sort of answer those, those questions that I get from people about, you know, I've, I've never had thin privilege. How do I get to where you're at Gina having never had thin privilege? Cause I, I'm, I'm still working on how to answer that question. Yeah. So,
1: no, I think that's a vulnerable place for you to be. And I, I appreciate that. Gina. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, you have almost stigma on the, on the other end, right. Of, of the spectrum and I guess it goes back to weight is stigmatized and dietetics is stigmatized basically no matter where you fall. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And I'm going to skip over one of the questions I can come back to it, but one of the questions I, I, I we asked of these dietitians was does your personal experience provide a heightened level of empathy for those that you encounter in your dietetics work? And it was overwhelming. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I've I've lived in this way and yeah. I get it. Like it, it's hard. It's, um, yeah. I, I again. I think that kind of goes back to like I feel it's my my superpower. But maybe that's yeah. because I my my weight isn't five hundred pounds. It's you know what I mean. Like uh-huh. how much is too much? And, and at what point does does that that empathy, um, you know, or or how people relate to you shift? Yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. And I. Well, I will just kind of I'll just get that question. I just we we just asked where what field uh, okay whatever what field of dietetics do are these dietitians from and is that field perhaps less stigmatized or do they perceive it as less stigmatized than other areas of dietetics? Um, so we have represented uh, diabetes education, diabetes um, outpatient and general nutrition, food service management, and then clinical dietetics um and just one comment there that somebody said they feel less stigmatized than perhaps working in weight loss um however weight loss is strongly encouraged for diabetics so there's still some pressure to be thin and i i resonate with that very much all right so the big question um and this is one that i thought responses were very interesting Question posed was, one reason for stigma of obesity comes from the assumption that weight status can be personally controlled, and therefore those affected by excess weight are responsible themselves. Mm -hmm. Using both your personal and professional experience along with your dietetics education, to what extent on a scale of 1 to 10 do you believe one's weight can personally be controlled? one being not at all, and 10 being uh, weight is a fully modifiable status. Mm-hmm. And our responses range from two to five. And Gina, I'm dying to know what you think.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for sure weight can be modified. That's, that's not a question. Weight can be modified. Can it be modified in a sustainable way? No. So can mm-hmm. you modify your weight for a short period of time? Most people can. Not everyone, but most, I mean, I've been work, I've worked with, Plenty of people who have lost weight. Um, do they keep it off? Is it sustainable? Are they happy? No, zero. So I do not think that weight is modifiable in the long run. It is in the short term, sure. Uh, I don't believe that when you modify your weight in the short term, that people are necessarily happy <laughs> because yeah. they're eating less than their body actually needs. They're probably work over exercising. They do things to their body that is not sustainable and then doesn't keep them in a good mood or happy or. Um, you know, enjoying life. Right. So yes, I think you can certainly lose weight and modify your body, but it's, it's a hundred percent not sustainable. Uh, the, the ways that most Americans do with fad diets or, you know, intermittent fasting, whatever it is. Uh, so until we, until we accept the way that our blueprint is, wants us to be in and, and how we're supposed to be, we can't be happy mm-hmm. and, uh, we'll keep trying to pursue something that is just non-existent. So what number
1: yeah. would you assign to that response?
0: <laughs> well, that's hard. I know. I'm thinking. I'm like, well, yeah, I do think so I guess I would say overall, if I took the I I would say probably I would probably say 1. I would say yes, you can absolutely you can absolutely lose weight, but it's not sustainable, so what's the point? 1. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sustainable in a happy way. There are plenty of people out there, I will tell you this, who have lost weight and kept it off in I shouldn't say plenty. I can probably think of one that I know who've lost weight and kept, you know, their weight off for, I don't know, maybe it's been a couple of years. But when I really talk to them, there are things that they're not doing. They're not going out to dinner with friends and family. They're going out to dinner and only getting a drink or eating before they go. They're not enjoying life. Okay? Mm-hmm. They're working out seven days a week for an hour and a half at a time. It's not sustainable. But they've made it sustainable because they've just built it into their lifestyle. But in deep down, my opinion is that these people are not happy because I've been there, okay? I And again, I've, I've come from a place of thin privilege. I've never been, quote unquote, overweight. But I will use numbers here. I went from, actually maybe I won't. I, I did lose about 15 pounds at one point in my life and kept it off for years. But that was a disorder, Um, I was telling people that, look at me, I'm a highly motivated, uh, you know, great patient. I I listen to the rules and I follow them. I was deeply unhappy, even though you would never have known that when you talk to me and I would, you know, have consultations with people. What do you do, Gina? Oh, here's what I do. I was deeply unhappy and frustrated. Um, So yes, I kept that weight off for quite some time until I just couldn't do it anymore. And I finally saw the light. Thank the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think I would. I think I would say one. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. well, good. I think I'm somewhere between like a two and a five. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, interestingly, none of the dietitians <laughs> responded above five, which I think yeah. is interesting because I think a lot of people would say would at, look at the question to what extent can one's weight be personally controlled? Yeah, you you restrict and you lose. Ten, you can control that. And yeah. and dietetics I think is it's interesting in combining kind of personal and professional experience that that's that's not always the case. And, and set point theory was really and that's what you were saying too, Gina. Is really what's your blueprint, right? Yeah, um,
0: exactly. And so I guess maybe if I if I am saying yes, you can control your your weight but at the same time, it's not sustainable. I guess in reality, my number might be somewhere more like two and three. (laughs) So, I mean, if I did the average or whatever, but I think in the long run, the more we try to change our weight, the more unhappy we are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you to all of our dietitians who contributed. That was awesome. And for being vulnerable and glad we kept everything anonymous and yeah, thank you, thank you. That was good. Uh, alright Gina, mom win favorite new product or recipe?
0: <laughs> um, I have nothing. So, I oh. see. <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah, I, I I have nothing. So, you, you, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, in True Nicole fashion, uh we recorded last our, our Instant Pot recipe and Instant Pot and air fryer. And I I had all Instant Pot recipes this week. I I thought I had an extra week to. <laughs> <laughs> Get my act together. And I didn't. So uh a bonus one for you after after last episode. Instant pot buffalo chicken pasta. It was so good. That sounds so awesome. good. So good.
0: Did the okay. kids eat it?
1: Uh it was a little spicy. Yeah. So no. But um, and it does have blue cheese in it. It just it goes on top. And then I added some chopped uh celery for like a little mm-hmm. crunch. It was so good. And it was super easy. That's a good wow. gene, gene recipe.
0: Yeah, love it. I'm gonna have to give that one a whirl. Actually, there is such thing as non-spicy buffalo sauce. Oh, so perhaps I'll use that. Yeah, we we bought that the other day actually for wings, but the kids did still find it a little bit spicy. So I guess I shouldn't say it's non-spicy. It's it's mild oh, buffalo sauce.
1: Mild, got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. I was like, what is that called? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. And it doesn't even sound good. I mean, one of the great things about buffalo sauce is that little kick, right? All right, so coming up on December 19th, we will be dishing out another self-care episode all about soaking in the holidays like when we were kids. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. and Check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone. Until next time, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.